Well, we are continuing our sermon series, Salt, Light, and Barbecue Sauce. And for our guest speaker today, we're going to enjoy a message from our world partner, Clint Watkins. Clint and his wife, Jillian, serve with Disciple Maker Ministries in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, at Thaddeus Stevens on the university campus there doing college ministry. Uh, Clint and Jillian give praise for how God is using the prayers and gifts of Millington Baptist Church to raise up a generation of believers there who devote themselves to knowing and obeying what God says in his word. Uh, you're going to enjoy this message. I got to hear it once. Clint is really gifted, and he's going to bless you. I know it. Please join me in a warm Millington welcome for our own Clint Watkins. Thank you. you know, I was thinking about uh, during first service that it's a good thing that Pastor Dave is the one introducing me because there's a lot of people who could share some pretty embarrassing stories about me. Uh, I grew up here at Millington across the parking lot before that building was there. Uh, it was our house. Um, and so it's always good to be back. It always feels like I'm coming home when I get to visit with you guys. So it's good to be here. You can open up to John chapter one. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at John chapter one. And we'll get there in a minute. Uh, so as Dave said, my wife and I live in Pennsylvania. And we live in downtown Lancaster. Now, we call it Lancaster City, but uh, you guys would never consider it a city if you drive through it. It's more like a downtown. And we live in a, in a row home. And one of the things we've been doing over the last year is transforming our backyard to make it more enjoyable, kind of an urban oasis back there. Um, and again, you guys would see this and not think it's a backyard because it's smaller than the stage that I'm standing on. But we wanted to transform it and do a little bit of work. And so one of the things that I've, I've done is built some raised beds so that we can plant a garden and, you know, add some variety back there. And part of the problem, you know, in doing that is there's a little bit of a hill. So I had to kind of dig into it and, and flatten it out as I built the raised bed. So the raised beds are about two feet high. I would dig and fill in the raised beds with that dirt. And by the end of it, we had about 100 square feet of raised beds. And um, I had... Uh, I didn't have to get extra dirt because of, you know, that, that much of a slope. But where I reached the, the biggest challenge and the biggest hiccup was uh, when I realized, and if you know anything about gardening, you, you'll know this, that with raised beds, you need some extra drainage underneath. And here I am with 100 square feet of raised beds that are two foot high filled to the brim with dirt. So I realized that I have to move all of the dirt, put in six inches of stone, and then put all the dirt back on top. Now, to make it even more annoying, as I said, we live in a row home, so we don't have easy access to just bring in a, a, a truck to dump, you know, the thousands of pounds of stone that we needed. And so what I had to do is get 15 five-gallon buckets, put it in our Jeep, drive to a local supplier, dig the stones, put it in the, the buckets, drive back to our house, move the dirt, dump the rocks, and do it all over again a few times. Yeah, it was really annoying. <laughs> it was awful. And now, the, the reason I'm telling you that story this morning is not to brag about my manual labor or talk about my inability to plan ahead. Uh, there's actually something in that story that relates to the series that we've been uh, talking about with evangelism. You see, the, the task that I had with our backyard garden, it, was, it wasn't complicated. It was costly, but it was not complicated. You see, it was costly in the sense that it cost me time, it cost my back some extra stress, cost a little bit of money, but it was pretty straightforward. Move dirt, dump rocks. That's what it came down to. 
And that's similar to evangelism in the sense that evangelism, when it comes down to it, it's costly, but it's not complicated. It's, it's costly, it'll cost time, it'll cost relationships, potentially. Our brothers and sisters around the world, for them, it costs them their lives. But it's not complicated. Share Christ with people. Share the gospel with others. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to take the next step, and that's kind of been the theme of this series, is the simplicity of evangelism, that it can be that simple and straightforward. And so my hope this morning is to challenge and encourage you in this costly but uncomplicated call towards evangelism. So let me pray, and then we're going to read our passage together. God, thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. Thank you for showing us your son through the scriptures. And I pray that through seeing him this morning, we will be compelled to go to others and invite them to see him as well. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to read verses 35 through 51 of John chapter 1. And as I read, to kind of help you engage with the text, I want you to notice all of the times that John uses the word see or look or behold or find. Any, any word that has to do with looking or seeing, I want you to take note of that because that'll help us understand the passage. So starting in verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So I want to look at three things from this passage that will help us in this topic of evangelism. I want to look at our motivation, then our invitation, and then our anticipation. So let's, let's first see in this passage our motivation in evangelism. Do you notice that people are making a pretty big discovery in this passage? 
That's one of the ways that John uses those words, see and find. You, you can see it first in verse 36. John the Baptist, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Then the two guys who follow Jesus because of that, one of them, verse 41, is Andrew, and he, he tells his brother, he says, we have found the Messiah. And then verse 45, Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him. These first disciples are finding Jesus for the first time. And as they do that, did you notice how rich this passage is with the characteristics of Christ? That, that we can learn so much about who Jesus is just in this short section of scripture. And you can even just see it in those titles that we've already seen. So verse 36, Lamb of God. Verse 38, Rabbi, which means teacher. Verse 41, Messiah, which means Christ. It, it keeps going. Verse 45, him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Keeps going. Verse 48, sorry, verse 49, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And finally, in verse 51, Jesus says of himself that he's the son of man. Now, we could spend hours, days, years unearthing the rich beauties of all of those titles. And whole books and libraries have been written to explore each one of these. But I want us to see how these truths about Jesus affected these men. How do these things about Jesus motivate them? Look at what it causes them to do. Verse 41, Andrew found his brother. Then in verse 45, after being found by Jesus, Philip found Nathanael to tell him about Jesus. You see, as these guys look and see Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Lamb of God, it motivates them to go and find their friends to tell them about him. As these guys see Jesus, they are then moved to bring others to him. So here's the point. Evangelism is not just motivated by duty, but by delight. Evangelism is not just motivated by duty, but by delight. You know, these guys, they weren't just sharing Christ because they had to. They were sharing Christ because they wanted to. And, you know, it is true. We are called, we're commissioned, we're commanded to share the gospel. It is our obligation. It's the obligation of the church and every disciple to make disciples, to preach the gospel. And we should be motivated by that in the same way that a soldier obeys his commander. But we should also be motivated by our delight in who Jesus is our delight in, in who he is and what he has done. That is what compels us to go to our neighbors and to the nations because Jesus is that amazing. And here's the reality. You, know, you, you talk about what you love, right? Your favorite restaurants, your favorite Netflix shows. We, we, we speak about things that we enjoy and that what, what we're thankful for. It's a natural and normal part of our humanity. And the same is true with Jesus. If we love him, if we enjoy him, we will tell others about him. At Thaddeus Stevens College, the, the primary school that, that we're doing ministry at, 
Uh, it, it's a trade school. It's a technical school. It's a two-year school. Uh, mostly commuters are there. It's mostly men who are looking to get a trade under their belt so they can start their careers. And, and here's, the, here's one of the obstacles we face. No one really wants to be there. I mean, they're not going there to have this like college experience to find themselves and to learn about who they are and all that. They know what they want to do. They want to be an electrician. They want to make money. So they're just getting their, their trade under their belt. And so we've, we've noticed that as kind of a, a reality on campus. Um, but the, the first uh, people we knew on campus, there were these two, two guys who were going to be freshmen a few years ago. And before they even started classes on, on campus, I got together with them, we, we had lunch, and I pitched the idea to them of, of starting a Bible study on campus. And, you know, they were Christians, they grew up in the church, so you know, they knew it was something that they should do. But then I kind of pushed the envelope a little bit, and I said, what do you think about inviting your friends? And their eyes got wide. They're like, what are we signing up for? <laughs> but out of I would say first obligation, knowing that that was what they should do. They said, okay, let's do it. And it was so cool to see them really step out in faith uh, out of that obedience to Christ to start inviting their friends. And our Bible study grew uh, during that first semester from two to six. And what we just spent time in the scriptures looking at Jesus, growing our delight and stirring our affection for him. And at the end of that semester, you know, you would think, okay, we've tripled in size from two to six. Let's just be content. And I was like, nope, we're going to keep going. And so I said to them, hey, guys, let's keep inviting people. Let's reach more people on this campus. And when I asked them why, the response of the wide-eyed uh, had totally changed. One of the guys, Taylor, he said, this is why we're here. He said, it's why we're here. And that wasn't like a, an obligatory, like, oh, it's why we're here. There was delight in his eyes because he had been spending time knowing and seeing Jesus and he wanted to share him with his classmates and friends. You see, if you lack passion for evangelism, if you lack zeal and excitement in sharing Christ with others, then take a long look at Jesus. Stir your affections for Christ. Look at him again with fresh eyes. Because the more you see and experience his goodness, the more you're going to want to share him with others. Jesus is our motivation for evangelism. Now let me say just a quick caveat, because then it might be tempting to think that we always have to be excited bundles of joy in order to share the gospel, right? Now, God can work through our apathy. We don't always need to be in a certain emotional or spiritual state. He can use our, our obedience even when we don't feel like it. But if we don't feel like it, look at Jesus. Grow your delight in him. He is our motivation for evangelism. The second thing we see is that our motivation then leads to invitation. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here this morning because we, we see the first disciples inviting others to come and see Jesus. And so I want to learn from them. How can we extend that same invitation? So let's look at who the disciples invite and also how they invite. So first off, notice who is being invited to come and see Jesus. Verse 35, John the Baptist He's standing with two of his disciples. 
Now, forget the religious connotations of that word disciple. Disciple means pupil, teacher, follower. Uh, sorry, not teacher, follower. Apprentice. These guys were John's interns. They were co-workers. That's who John was inviting to go see Jesus. And after spending time with Jesus, one of those two guys, he goes and invites someone. You see that in verse 41? Who does he invite? His brother. So family is being invited to come see Jesus. And then you see Philip in verse 45, he goes and finds this guy, Nathaniel. Now, we don't know what their relationship is, but we can at least assume that they already knew each other, right? And so there was a friendship. Maybe they were neighbors. But what these guys are doing, what we're seeing happen is coworkers, family, friends, neighbors are being invited to come see Jesus. They share Jesus with people they already know. And this is a point that's already been made during the series, but I want to reemphasize it again. The, the non-Christians in your life currently are the people God has placed for you to invite them to come see Jesus. That's your harvest field. People you already know. But I want you to see something else about who was invited here in this passage. Do you notice that news is, is really spreading like wildfire? There's like this excitement, this eagerness. It's really catching on. But then when you get to this guy, Nathaniel, the happy music kind of screeches to a halt. Do you see how he responds when he's told about Jesus? Look at verse 45. Philip says, we found him. And, and one of the qualities he points out is that Jesus is of Nazareth. And then look at what Nathaniel says in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I live in Pennsylvania, and I get that response a lot when I tell people I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> Can anything good come out of New Jersey? And I'm like, well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Just kidding. But, you know, Jersey's strong. We can, we can handle it. I think we're, we're, we're tough enough. People just want to be like New Jerseyans. I think that's why hatred is the biggest form of flattery. Um, but, but here we see that Nathaniel, you know, he clearly has some assumptions that he's making and that Nazareth doesn't really seem to have a good reputation. And so as he's being told about Jesus, you know, he's, he's already going in with this skepticism, with these questions, with these doubts. But here's the thing that doesn't stop Philip from inviting him. Even in those uh, questions and doubts, Philip still invites him to come see Jesus. And so hesitations and questions and skepticism should never prevent us from inviting others to come see Jesus. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we often assume that people are going to be skeptical, and we, we kind of make the answer for them. And because we're afraid that they might answer with questions or doubts, we, we never end up inviting them in the first place. And those assumptions, more often than not, are based on pretty shallow things, like how they dress or talk or how they vote. But then even taking a next step further, Nathaniel had these doubts but they didn't actually prevent him from following Jesus. And so even in skepticism and questions, people can still make the decision to check Jesus out for themselves. Nathaniel followed Jesus even in his initial questioning. 
It reminds me of a, another Bible study that, that I had helped start a, a number of years ago at Gettysburg College. There was a guy who I was discipling. He became a Christian during his freshman year, and he was on the football team, and he wanted to reach his football team, and he joined one of the notorious fraternities on campus in order to reach them as well. And so we started a Bible study together. And you know, it was, a lot of it was on him because I didn't know any of those guys, and so he was the one who had to do all the inviting. And so we show up that first night, and I have no idea who's gonna come. It was so amazing to see between 15 and 20 guys show up simply because Joe invited them. And I loved the atmosphere because these guys would show up, you know, cursing, talking about the weekend before, asking really tough questions. A lot of them had never studied the Bible before, and yet they got the opportunity to look and see Jesus because Joe invited them. It was a reminder to me that everyone is welcome at the foot of the cross. Everyone is welcome at the foot of the cross. And often, more often than not, people are willing to say yes to something like a Bible study just because a friend has the willingness to invite them in the first place. So this is who the disciples invite. Family, friends, neighbors, even skeptics. But look at how they invite people. Notice how they invite. The first thing we see about their invitation is that it's intentional. Do you notice their intentionality in this passage? They're pursuing people to invite them. This is another way that John uses those words of see and look. Look at verse 41. Andrew found his own brother. Verse 43, Jesus does this. He found Philip. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. You see, they're creating opportunities. They're being intentional and initiating with people. They're, they're hunting people down. When I was a freshman in college, I was going in the other direction when it comes to Jesus. I grew up here I was really good at putting up the Jesus mask when I had to, but I decided to go to a secular college so I could finally get away from Jesus and get away from the family business of ministry. Look how that worked out. <laughs> but one of the things that God used to recapture me was this intentional type of invitation. You see, in my dorm, just down the hall from where I was living, there was a Bible study that met every Monday night. And every stinking Monday night, Dave Yu would come to my door. Hey, Clint, want to come to Bible study? And inside, every single time, I'm like, no, Dave, I don't want to come to Bible study. But I'm enough of a people pleaser, and I can play the Christian game long enough that I would go sometimes. But other times, I would either avoid, like I would leave, literally leave the building when I knew he would be coming, or I would lock the door and turn off the lights, pretend like I wasn't in there, or I would pretend like I was sick. Like one time I stayed in bed, pretended I was sick because I wanted to watch Monday Night Football. My roommate knew I was lying, but Dave had no idea. <laughs> but what's amazing is Dave just kept inviting me. And he gave me the opportunity to come and see Jesus. It's what God used to recapture me. 
And he can use you as well in the same intentional way if you are persistent and loving as you invite people to come see Jesus. So their invitation is intentional, but I also want you to see how simple their invitation is. Do you notice how straightforward and uncomplicated these invitations are in this passage? So again, you see John the Baptist, verse 36. He just says, behold, look. That's his invitation. When those two disciples follow Jesus and they want to spend more time with him, he says in verse 39, he says, come and you'll see. And then you see Philip saying the same thing to Nathaniel in verse 46. He just says, come and see. Their invitation is so simple and so straightforward. You know, that, that Bible study at Gettysburg College, the one with the football players and the fraternity brothers, one of those guys ended up becoming a Christian through the Bible study, this guy Joey. And the next year, he started leading the, the same Bible study. I took a step back so these two guys could lead together. And uh, Joey was also a Jersey boy. He was a linebacker, a little rough around the edges. I called him a pit bull. And I asked him how it was going, you know, inviting guys on the team to come to Bible study. He's like, oh, yeah, it's not bad. I just, you know, I'm in the locker room. I'm just like, hey, come to Bible study or I'll kick your butt. <laughs> and he didn't say butt. <laughs> I just figured I probably shouldn't repeat that in church. But I was like, okay. All right, let's talk about being a little bit more gentle. But the thing is, like, it was just so beautifully simple and straightforward. And he was buddies with the football guys. Like, he wasn't, like, going up to innocent girls on the sidewalk saying, come to Bible study or kick your butt. Like, there was an appropriate context to it, you know. We worked on it. But still, it was so simple. Joey's like, I just want to get these guys to come to Bible study. How simple it is and it can be. And the beauty of the simplicity of it, and you see it in the passage, remember Nathaniel, skeptical Nathaniel, questioning if anything good can come out of Nazareth. And he's like asking Philip this question. What does Philip do? He doesn't launch into this theological discussion. Like he doesn't bring out the Bible and say, well, you know, even though the Old Testament doesn't mention Nazareth specifically, we can prove that the prophecies still point to Jesus and maybe we can, you know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't pull out these apologetic, uh, you know, strategies or these memorized methods he simply says, just come and see. Come and see for yourself. It's so simple. It's so profound. And that can be our invitation as well. And so here's the point I want us to see, is that evangelism is not just a conversation. It's an introduction Evangelism is not just a conversation, it's an introduction. You see, it's tempting to reduce evangelism just to these one-time conversations with people. And, and what we end up doing is putting so much pressure on ourselves, feeling like we have to have all of our theological ducks in a row. And we should be prepared for every obstacle and objection and, and every theological question and doubt that might come up. And it's so intimidating. And then we end up never having that conversation. Now, one-time conversations, that is evangelism. Those are opportunities that we should pursue. And last week, Pastor Dave gave some great strategies that we learned from Christ on how to navigate some of those conversations. 
But imagine if evangelism wasn't only a face-to-face conversation. Imagine if evangelism wasn't just face-to-face, but it was shoulder-to-shoulder. Here's what I mean. It's the difference between me telling you about my wife and me introducing you to her. You know, I could be the most articulate and descriptive and accurate person in the world, but meeting my wife is a thousand times better than me telling you about her. Because then you could ask her what she was thinking when she married me. (laughs) But what it does is, in that introduction, you know, talking about her, it paints a picture. But introducing her initiates a relationship. And the same is true with evangelism and with Jesus. Talking about Jesus, that's necessary, that's good, and that paints a picture. But introducing people to Jesus initiates a relationship. And we can stand shoulder to shoulder with people and introduce them to the person of Christ. Now, I know what you might be thinking. How do we do that? How can we introduce people to Jesus. You know, for the first disciples, it was literally as simple as, look, there he is in the flesh. Let's, let's go talk to him. Let's go stay with him. You know, we don't have that same luxury of in the flesh meeting with Jesus. So, so how can we invite people to come and see him? How can we make this introduction? This is where I want to get really practical. I really want to hone in on, on one evangelistic strategy that I have found to be tried and true and incredibly important and effective. And so we need to ask the question, how do we, we see Jesus? It's through the scriptures. This is how God has given us uh, you know, the opportunity to see Jesus. This is what God has given us to see Jesus clearly. It's God's word. It's the scriptures. And so this is what I want to challenge you to consider doing this morning. Read the Bible with non-Christians. Read the scriptures with non-Christians. Now, I know this kind of steps away from this grill theme. Uh, You can't have Bible study over an open grill, but that might put your Bible in jeopardy. But I want you to think beyond the barbecue, beyond the summer, what is, what is a long-term thing that you can invest in? And it's opening up God's word with other people. I want to share, uh, you know, challenge you to consider how you might do that. But let me just explain why this is so effective. Here are a few reasons why studying the scriptures with non-Christians can be so effective. The first is what we've already been talking about, is that it gives others a clear look at Jesus. It gives them a clear look to see Jesus with their own eyes. You know, this is why the gospel writers wrote what they wrote. This is why the Holy Spirit inspired them to pen these words so that people could see Jesus. You know, John, the gospel writer, the book that we're in, at the end of his book, he tells us why he wrote it. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book, so that people could see, believe, and have life in Jesus. Luke, the gospel writer, says something similar. He's writing to his friend Theophilus, and he says, hey, I've compiled these things so that you may have certainty of what you've been taught. 
This is what people have to see Jesus. So studying the scriptures with your non-Christian friends gives them the opportunity to have a clear look at Jesus. The second reason, and it's related, is that it allows God to be the primary voice. When you study the scriptures, it allows God's voice to come to the forefront and our voice goes into the background. You know the verse when Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And the author of Hebrews says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God has spoken and we have his word. You know, there are uh, over 750,000 podcasts today, probably even growing. You you can take out your smartphone or or go on your laptop and hear people talking for, you know, hours on tons and tons of different topics, from politics to religion to knitting to food, whatever you want. I think there's like 60 podcasts on knitting alone. (laughs) I don't listen to any of them, but I'm sure... Sure, they're good. (laughs) There's so many voices out there, but we have the opportunity to let people hear from the only voice that matters through the scriptures. It gives, it allows God to be the primary voice. The third reason is that it then relieves you of needing to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. Because what you're doing is standing shoulder to shoulder, reading the scriptures for yourselves with your friends, and you're not the expert. You're both in the stands looking and seeing. And so you don't need to have all the answers. You can actually come with your own questions. The next reason it's similar is that it then, it requires no curriculum or specific strategy. You know, it really can be as simple as, hey, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna read a section of John and then we're gonna talk about it. And then next week, we're gonna read the next section of John, and we're gonna talk about it. You don't need to have any step-by-step process necessarily. If you can read, you're good. You can read the scriptures with non-Christians, and you're relieved of having to come up with this curriculum. And the last reason that I'll point out is that it lets you look at Christ together. It lets you look at Christ together. It moves it from face to face to shoulder to shoulder. It's amazing what you get to experience alongside others as you look at Jesus together. I remember that that pit bull, Joey. I remember when something clicked that first year that he was a part of our Bible study. We were reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't remember where we were at in that section but at one point during the Bible study, he kind of, he brought the Bible study to a halt and he was like, guys, I get it. I get why Jesus, why we do what Jesus says. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and he said, you know, Jesus loves us. He's done so much for us. And so we love him. And because we love him, we obey what he tells us to do. It's love. I was like, whoa, <laughs> we didn't tell him that. He heard that from the scriptures. He saw that in the scriptures from God's voice in looking at Jesus. There's another example of a guy who gave his life to Christ who was hearing the gospel, plugged into a, a few Bible studies, and he, he believed the gospel, but he was afraid to, to fully commit to following Jesus because his family was going to reject him if he did that. 
And so we opened up to Luke, where Jesus says, unless you hate father, brother, mother, etc., you can't be my disciple. It's a pretty risky place to turn when someone's questioning whether or not they should follow. But he got to hear from Jesus himself saying that our relationship with Christ takes priority over every other relationship, but the cost of that is worth it. And it was in that that he decided to follow Jesus. Studying the scriptures is our opportunity to give people a clear look at Jesus and hear from God himself. And so let me ask you this question. What do you need to do to take a really big step of faith to study the scriptures with the non-Christians in your life? I know that's a big proposal that I'm making here to go out on a limb and, and open up the Bible with people who maybe have never opened up the Bible before. What would you have to do to start taking steps towards that? You know, I would imagine that you, you're probably going to have to reorient your schedule a little bit. But let me just tell you, it, it really doesn't take that much. I mean, 30, 45 minutes, you can start small. Maybe it's you know, going to a diner before work. Maybe it's in the break room. Maybe it's in your house. Whatever it is. Maybe it's joining with a friend, you know, another Christian brother, and I would highly recommend you know, going out two by two, but joining with a friend and then saying, hey, we're gonna commit this space and this time to study the scriptures together, and we're gonna invite some, some friends that we know to see if they would consider doing it. And you would be amazed how often people will come to a Bible study simply because a friend invited them. They may not show up to church because that's a little bit more intimidating, but you know, a little Bible study around the table, it's a little bit more doable. And also you'd be amazed at how inoffensive it is. I mean, I know we're in a culture of tolerance and being politically correct, but we're not at the point yet where most people will not punch you in the face for inviting them to Bible study. You know, I've gotten a lot of no's over the course of our ministry, a lot of no's. But very few, very few people have slammed the door in my face. But we've also gotten a lot of yeses. It can be a simple invitation. And so I really want to challenge you to set aside time to create space and to start reading the scriptures and talking about it with friends. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm sharing a lot of stories about some pretty cool things that are happening with college students. But what we do and I hope this doesn't like break ties with our support, you know, we don't really do anything all that complicated. Like we really don't do anything that's all that complex. What I do with guys is we sit around a table and we open up the Bible and we talk about it. I'm sorry if that lets a little bit too much behind the curtain and seeing how the sausage is made, but there really is not much complication to sharing the gospel and evangelism. Now, I do know it gets complex at times, and, and we do need to be prepared for that, but it can be simple and straightforward. And I say that to encourage you, you can do it. I really do believe that everyone in this room has the capacity to do it. So I wanna, I wanna challenge and invite you to study the scriptures with non-Christians. And it, uh, just to share another really cool story, and then we'll move into our last point, that one of those first two guys at Thaddeus Stevens, one of the wide-eyed guys who was nervous about inviting his friends, he ended up inviting his entire HVAC class to our Bible study. 
And during that second semester when we really started to see a growth, it was basically a bunch of HVAC technicians coming out because Taylor and his other friend were inviting him. And this one guy started coming out. His name was Stefan. And as I got to know Stefan, I started to learn some really heartbreaking things about his childhood. I mean, traumatic experience after traumatic experience. Any one of those experiences would have broken a person. And understandably so, he really wrestled with the Lord and really questioned who God was and how he could allow such horrible things to happen. And he just started showing up to this Bible study. Had never really studied the scripture for himself. But then it put him in a position where what he says is it it put him back in the ring with God. And eventually it got to a point where he said, you know what, I'm done playing tug of war. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And we had the opportunity to baptize him in our church. And last, one of the last things I heard about him is he was uh, in the military for a brief stint and he was going around to different troops talking about Jesus with them. <laughs> and it just happened through a simple invitation to study the scriptures. And so yes, it's costly, but friends, it's worth it. That's our invitation to invite people to come and see Jesus. And finally, I wanna end by seeing that we should have great anticipation in evangelism. That as we invite others to come and see Jesus, we can wait and see with eagerness that Christ is gonna do amazing things. Let's end our time by by looking just briefly again at the passage. Look at how in these first few moments, these guys are already starting to be transformed by Christ. You see it in verse 42 Andrew brings his brother Simon. This is kind of an awkward situation. Jesus looks at him and says, so you're Simon. You shall be called Cephas. Imagine just having like someone change the name that you've gone with your entire life, just like that. But what's amazing is, you know, it's this, it's, it's like a term of endearment and a term of calling because Cephas and Peter, it means rock. So it's like, you're gonna be called Rocky. And it becomes the rock of the church. You see that in Acts as as he goes out boldly. You see transformation that happened with Nathaniel. Remember doubting Nathaniel? Look at his transformation. Verse 49, he, he knows that he's known in this really intimate way by Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He's being transformed. And then Jesus, I love his response. He's like, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, he said to him, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying is, you ain't seen nothing yet. Man, wait and see, because this is only the beginning. And so here's our last point. Evangelism will not just result in conversion, but in transformation. Evangelism won't just result in conversion, but transformation. When people meet Jesus, he will transform them. You can bank on that. He is going to transform us and those around us. It's not just a one-time event. It's not only conversion. He's going to continue to unfold his beauties and his, and his goodness over the course of our lifetime and our relationship with him. And we can wait and see with anticipation 
and wonder what he's going to do. Let me share just one last story with you. There was a guy, and I'll call him Marcus for the sake of privacy, but uh, he was at Thaddeus Stevens, and um, he heard about some of our Bible studies that were happening on campus, and he wanted to get involved. You see, Marcus, uh, when he was a high schooler, he lost his mom, and his life started to spiral into depression and drug abuse, and he ended up uh, getting arrested and landed in prison for 42 days. And during those 42 days, he decided that he needed to make a change. And so he spent all 42 days reading the Bible by himself for the first time. That got him interested. He was seeing Jesus. He wanted more. And so he heard about our Bible study. I remember meeting him for the first time. And and, the word I would use to describe him was downcast. Like he was disheveled. He was discouraged. There was just something about him that you could see the weight on his shoulders, but we got him plugged into a Bible study. And I, didn't, I wasn't the one leading it. And so a couple months later, I had the opportunity to kind of check back in and see how he was doing. And man, he walked into the room with a totally different demeanor. He was smiling. The weight had been lifted. And so I sat down with him and I asked him like, hey, what's changed? Like, what's different? And he's like, man, honestly, studying the Bible with these three guys has been the highlight of my year. And so I asked him again, like, what's, what's your favorite part? What are you guys studying? They were going through the book of Romans. And you know that that's a thick book, right? And so I asked him, what's your favorite part about Romans? And he said, the beginning. I was like, okay, like, what part of the beginning? Because you know Romans 1 starts to get really dark and discouraging really quick. You know, Paul is calling out all of the sinfulness of man. The wrath of God is revealed. And then it turns the corner in chapter two. Even you religious people, like you have no excuse. It's like, you know, it's pretty heavy handed. And he's like, yeah, that part. Like, what? And he said, you know, my whole life, I've been the screw up. And it's so comforting to know that I'm not the only one. That we're all sinners and that God's grace extends to all of us. That's why the weight had been lifted. And it wasn't through anything complex. It was just studying the scriptures together and talking about it. So friends, I want to end with this. That as you look and see Jesus and you delight in who he is, that will motivate you to invite others to come see him. And you can gather around the scriptures to get a clear look at Jesus together. And as you do that, you can wait and see because Jesus is gonna do some amazing things. I'm gonna call the the worship team up as we close. And the, the song we're gonna end with is a song called Jesus Paid It All. And I hope that what it does for us is that it stirs those affections as we look at and remember the fact that Jesus paid such a high cost for our salvation, that he rose again, that we can praise him. And let those realities, let those truths stir your affections for Christ and think about other people who need to hear about the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Let me pray and we'll sing together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you don't just call us to obey out of obligation, but you give us the opportunity to share Christ with others out of our delight for him. And I pray that you would continue to stir that up in us, that we would uh, continue to have the habit of looking and seeing Jesus with our own eyes. 
but that it wouldn't just stay personal and private and individualistic, that it would become communal, that we would see the network of friends and family and, and coworkers as opportunities to invite into this relationship, that we would introduce them to Jesus and that we would have great anticipation for what you're gonna do. Would you give us the boldness, the strength, and the endurance? In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Clint. Let's stand for the final song.